It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. MPs have returned to Parliament ahead of next week's big Brexit vote on Theresa May's withdrawal deal. The vote was postponed in December with the assumption it wouldn't pass. So has anything changed over the Christmas break? And what is the route now for Labour to change course for Brexit? I'm Progress Deputy Director Stephanie Lloyd, and I'll be talking to Alison McGovern about the mood in Parliament, while Deputy Editor Connor Pope will be speaking to Tim Bale, who runs the Economic and Social Research Council's Party Members Project. So, Alison, has anything about the withdrawal agreement changed since the government pulled the vote last month? No. Next question. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, why have we not done this already? This is what I keep thinking to myself. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Why did we not do this in November or December? Why are we sitting here in January still not having gone through this process? Yeah, because is there any reason that MPs would have changed their minds since then? Well... Any general whipping, like sort of general trying to persuade people that what they've told their constituents can still be upheld by some kind of rhetorical jiggery-pokery, so mm. that they might have been very unhappy with the deal, but subsequently they have discovered blah, 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 blah. And so only the kind of like process of argument, but I don't think so. And these are quite big numbers that we're talking about. So. The ERG is quite, you know, it's quite a significant group. Mm. Steve Baker has previously claimed sort of, you know, 80-odd Tory MPs. And the vote of no confidence in Theresa May did at least reveal that there are quite a lot of Tory MPs that are unhappy with her. And so she has a low level of trust and support amongst her members of parliament. So I find it quite hard to think that a significant number of them will have changed their mind. So the vote's confirmed for next Tuesday. So what, and, and the debate starts We on... don't actually know this yet. Okay. Because basically, as we are um, sat here now um, recording this, although, you know, by the time the podcast goes out, we may have slightly more information, mm. but not much, to be fair. What will happen is at the beginning of the debate, we'll have a programme motion. Mm-hmm which will set, you know, how many days, what we're discussing when, and then when exactly the vote's going to be. 
But the fact is, we've had a debate and got halfway through it before. So there's a bit of a move amongst some backbenchers to try and amend the government's programme motion to shorten the debate, mm. to bring forward the vote, to get it all moving more quickly. So I was going to say, because we've already had some debate. So what would, if there isn't, if the, if it isn't shortened, what is, is it just more contributions, more debate that happens well, it, in between now and well, then? It's, it's all a bit, of we, a bit of a weird one and quite unprecedented in the sense of, say you're, you know, the member of parliament for any town central mm. and you've already spoken in the debate that was aborted. Do your remarks count? Mm. Do you have to write to the speaker and tell him that you'd like to speak again? Do you give the same speech, which is already enhanced? I mean, th this whole process of pulling the debate halfway through is crackers mm. for a whole range of reasons. One of them is that we appear to have had a month's delay for no good reason. And another one is members of parliament are a bit left wondering how they're supposed to respond to a new debate, which is basically a regurgitated version of the thing that we got halfway through last time. Mm. It's all very strange. Anyway, we shall find out more over the coming week as the government tries to lay down uh, its procedure, its timetable, and people will no doubt try and jig around with it. So as you said, I mean, MPs have started to try and make kind of interventions and, and change the kind of dynamics of what's going on. So over 200 MPs have written a letter to Theresa May asking her to rule out no deal. Did you sign it? Do you think it will have any effect? Yes, I did. And and it was, you know, MPs, it started off with MPs in manufacturing areas. So Jack Dromey and Caroline Spellman, Caroline Spellman, who's a, who's a senior Tory MP, and Jack Dromey, who's one of our Labour front benches. And you know, no deal would be an absolute disaster. What's interesting about that letter is obviously, you know, the vast majority of Labour MPs will have signed it. I think those that haven't, it's more just because they haven't got around to it rather than it, you know, they, that they didn't want to or whatever. Yeah, or, rather than they're flying the no deal flag. No, exactly. <laughs> I think they, that Jack will have just done a kind of like round robin uh, letter and, and people might not have seen it. But what's interesting is the kind of 20 odd Tory MPs saying that they would vote to stop no deal. Mm. And we kind of always have known that there was a significant number of Tory members of parliament who would want to stop no deal. And now we have some names for the first time. So that's a good step forward. The problem is though, as uh, the new statesman Stephen Bush often points out, being against no deal is a good thing. But in order to achieve that, you need to be for something else. Mm. Now you can be for no Brexit do you see what I mean? You could yeah. be for the status quo. So you could argue that what we should do is rescind Article 50, subject to some further discussion and debate about what kind of Brexit that we want, potentially no Brexit. Um, or you can be for something else like putting the Prime Minister's vote to a public vote or some other version of a Brexit deal that you think would be more palatable. But in a sense, the kind of the fact that people are against no deal is the easy bit. Mm. The harder bit is what is there a majority for? Well, I mean, we saw the kind of sight of lorries practicing queuing in Dover yesterday. Do you think that made anyone more optimistic about the idea of a no deal? Oh my goodness! <laughs> I mean, what? How is this? What's happening? I don't know, but it seems to be like if we demonstrate that we're ready for no deal, mm. then that will send a message to who? The public. You know, the businesses who already know how bad no deal is going to be, um, 
the public who are having to prepare for things, you know, people are trying to book holidays and being told we don't quite know what the uh, arrangements at the border are going to be yet, but, you know, watch this space. I don't think lorries having a practice at getting in the queue will reassure anybody. Also, if the one thing we know that, you know, the British people can do, it is queue. Oh, That's not the thing that I'm worried about. It's more that we're going to turn the wonderful county of Kent into a car park, which I have a problem with. But... We've had, I mean, it's it's already like bad it's pretty enough. Bad. It's right. pretty bad at the best of times. So the other kind of intervention that we've seen, uh, this well, so it's kind of Monday this morning, was the kind of intervention that a number of MPs have made about a kind of Norway plus 2.0, whatever ridiculous thing we market, call it now. 2.0, yeah. So, I mean, w- what do you make of that as an option? Well, this is a really interesting one because Labour campaign for the single market mm was about making the case for that institution, the single market and the customs union, you know, to say that even if we have to do Brexit, we have to do it in a way that upholds our place in the European economy. Mm. Um, And I think we made a really, really good case, which is why Labour Party policy is for full participation in the single market and a permanent customs union. Clearly, they're trying to see if there's much appetite for that in number 10. Mm. The problem is that we, you know, we previously had really big rebellions of Labour MPs in favour of the EEA. And we have, like, number 10 have not been on the phone. Mm. They have not been ringing around Labour MPs to see if they could get support for that. So until it, it's kind of like, it's not, it's not a terrible idea, but we've tried it. We've been round that roundabout before and it didn't get us very far. So um, I kind of wonder about the timing, really. Um, but anyway, the uh, in the end, the situation is the Prime Minister has to bring forward a plan B. You know, mm. as much as I would love to think that backbenchers can, by force of our argument, make the government act, you know, that's not really how our system works. So we're all just trying to lay options on the table mm. for the Prime Minister to pick up. Well, I think there's going to be... a unbelievable kind of week or two weeks to watch in Parliament. Next, we're going to be hearing from Connor Pope talking to Tim Bale about the recent polling into Labour members and Brexit. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm here with Tim Bale, academic and author of Five Year Mission, the book about the party under Ed Miliband. He also runs the Economic and Social Research Council's Party Members Project, which studies membership of Britain's six biggest political parties in the 21st century. Last week, polling carried out by YouGov for this project found that 72% of Labour members back a public vote on Brexit. Tim, could you just start by telling us um, a bit about this project? Yeah, um, the project started in 2015 and it looks at uh, the membership of six parties, so Labour, Conservative, Lib Dems, uh, UKIP, the Greens and the SNP. Uh, And it does that by um, surveying party members uh, and it uses the polling company YouGov to do that. They have this enormous panel of uh, voters, uh, some of whom are party members, and it means we can get sufficiently big uh, samples to actually say something you know, meaningful and concrete about the, the memberships. YouGov has got a particularly good record, actually, when it comes to the Labour Party, because if you look at the uh, 2015 leadership contest, it got Jeremy Corbyn's score right within about 2%. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in 2016, the second Corbyn leadership <laughs> contest, it got it bang on. So we're fairly confident that we can get a, you know, a, a reasonably representative sample. Having said that, what we, we can't guarantee is that we get all the weighting right because... Um, uh, you know, Labour, like other parties, doesn't release exact demographics. Mm. So we don't know exactly how many women there are, exactly how many, you know, um, middle class people there are, graduates there are. But we feel we've got it pretty, pretty right. And there's been a big churn in, in membership over the past yeah, few years. Yeah, there has. I mean, particularly among, um, uh, you know, Labour members, there's been this enormous increase. And uh, what you've seen uh, as a result of that, actually, Um, quite a few changes, the biggest of which, interestingly, is that Labour is pretty gender balanced now. And that didn't used Mm. to be the case. It used to be the case really only for the Greens, but Labour's now pretty, pretty sort of half, half men and women, which is an interesting one. Yeah. But uh, like a lot of parties, um, Labour's membership is, you know, overwhelmingly middle class. It's overwhelmingly uh, a graduate membership as well. Uh, And, you know, the project has also taught us that, you know, Labour members are not only pretty left wing in terms of, you know, where they see the state uh, and where they see the market, but also socially incredibly liberal as Mm. well. So, you know, um, you know, very much in favour of um, uh, not restricting immigration, um, you know, law and order, censorship and all those kinds of things. They're very liberal. So you say you start the project in 2015. Was that before or after that year's contest? That was just after. I mean, one of the things that we wanted to do uh, with the project was look at what people did for the parties during election campaigns. Mm. So we actually fielded the survey in 2015, uh, a couple of weeks after the general election. Then we did the same in 2017. So we have some idea of uh, the extent to which people do or don't help out their parties. Uh, And actually, what's interesting is that in 2017, although much was made of, you know, Labour's campaign uh, effort on the ground, 
uh, actually Labour supporters did a little bit less proportionately than they did back in 2015, <laughs> funnily enough, yeah. But, of course, they had so much, uh, so, uh, so many more members. Yeah, so yeah. Of course, it, it helped Labour uh, probably far more than it helped the Conservative Party, for example. So this uh, new data that was released uh, last week, um, it showed quite how pro-European the Labour Party membership was. I think it said if there was to be a people's vote, 88% of members mm. would back Remain. How much of this data do you think is new information? Because obviously we kind of already know that Labour members are pro-European. And I'm sure that when the leadership is working out its Brexit stance, it factors all of this in. How much of it do you think would have actually been new information? Well, I mean, that's a very good question. I'm not sure how much of it would have been new information to the leadership, Mm. but I'm not sure how much uh, the leadership would have liked that information out there in the public realm. Because I think what uh, the survey did show is is the extent, really, to which um, Labour members are, you know, wedded to try and keeping us in uh, the European Union and the sheer level of support for uh, a second referendum. But also, I think, uh, you know, there was some interesting stuff in there uh, where we asked them some hypothetical questions about, you know, various kind of referendum options. Mm. And it's and it's clear, really, that um, obviously no deal is anathema to most Labour Party members. But, you know, they're, they're not keen on any kind of compromise either. And even this sort of Norway plus option, mm. you know, that some Labour MPs are now kind of pushing together yeah. with some Conservative MPs. Uh, that doesn't really do it for Labour members uh, either. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's often the case that in in social science, uh, you you sort of prove something that most people reckon they know, but at least you prove it. Yeah, right, yeah. Because you know? there, there feels like a bit, there's um, in some elements of uh, people who support a people's vote within the Labour Party, uh, there's talk about trying to get a, a special conference to harden up Labour's policy on this. But actually, this information seems to suggest that while Labour members support a people's vote, they also just are happy with the policy as it is. And, and and at the same time, you know, there's about two thirds, I think, who say that they think Jeremy Corbyn's doing a good job as leader. So is any of this really impacting his stance or do we see any slippage in terms of his popularity? Well, I mean, I think you're right. There is in some ways a bit of a contradiction there, isn't there? Because clearly, you know, they don't like the fact uh, that Labour isn't coming out strongly for a a second uh, referendum. But I think many Labour members, you know, reading kind of between the lines and digging a little bit deeper into the poll, um, are um, of the opinion that, you know, it is the kind of logical next step, if you like, mm. after any kind of confidence motion in the government fails, as we presume it would. So I think a lot of Labour Party members are prepared to give the leadership at the moment the benefit of the doubt, precisely because of the policy that was decided at conference yeah. back in the autumn. Um, so in other words, they, they don't oppose the policy uh, at the moment because they think it's going to lead to the outcome that they want, right. which is a, a second referendum. Now, if we get to the crunch point where, say, for example, the deal goes down, uh, Mr. Corbyn, you know, presents a, a no confidence motion in Parliament, that doesn't work. And then the leadership don't go for a second referendum. I think we could mm. find that the leadership is in trouble then. But you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, Mr. Corbyn is still very popular among a lot of supporters. They are, um, if you like, um, inclined to to see the best in, in everything that he does. Mm. And how much of a difference is there between Labour members and Labour voters on Brexit? Because it feels like, um, you know, from from what I understand from from reading papers, is that is that 
the leadership has this kind of vague policy because actually they don't want to alienate people already voting Labour, um, especially in leave voting seats in the Midlands and in the North. Does that kind of, is there a gap there? There is a gap there. I mean, you know, if you ask members, you know, whether it would be a good idea to, to leave without a deal, uh, and you ask voters the same question. Um, voters aren't keen, but Labour members are even less keen. Mm-hmm. If you ask about whether uh, the country was right to vote for uh, Brexit in the first place, um, Labour members are absolutely convinced that uh, it wasn't. Labour voters are too, but less so. Um, so uh, you'd have to say that Labour voters and indeed voters in general, of course, are are less, for want of a better word, Europhile than Labour Party members. But I don't think we should go away with the idea that actually Labour voters, generally speaking, um, are somehow kind of pro-Brexit. That isn't the case. Right. And of course, there's all sorts of other research on a kind of constituency level, which shows that actually most people who voted Labour, even in the so-called Leave constituencies, uh, voted to remain in the European Union. And I think we have to be very careful, you know, not to sort of run away with these sort of stereotypes that basically the membership are a bunch of sort of middle class graduates who love Europe and voters are kind of sort of the earth working class types mm-hmm. who, you know, are desperate to leave. That's yeah. just not the case. But there is a gap. You're right. How big, especially on something like No Deal, how big is the gap there? You, you said that No Deal is an anathema to Labour Party members, but is that... Uh, replicated with with voters as well do you think so i mean let's let's have a look at one of the questions we asked which is you know um do you think that leaving you without a deal would have negative uh impacts on the economy mm. in the medium to short term now 89% of labor members think that's the case but only quote unquote 65% of labor voters right. think that that's the case so that's kind of illustrative of the kind of gap we're talking about i mean it is fairly big you know it's mm. 20% or yeah. so uh, on most of those questions, so you know it, it is it is significant, and there's there's no doubt about it. Um, but of course, uh, you know uh, that means that the leadership, while they have to pay attention to their members, you know clearly do have to pay attention to voters as well, and may well be concerned that um, you know the membership is unrepresentative. But then that poses a problem generally for political parties. You know, do they? Uh, represent the ideas uh, and views of their members or do they always mm. strive to to represent the views of voters in their constituency mm. as a whole? And in the end, it's still two thirds without the comparison of Labour members that are still quite... A, yeah, I think, I think that's very important to stress once again. You know, I mean, Labour members are really Europhile to the max, but Labour voters, generally speaking, are pretty Euro- pro-European. And that's not surprising because that's been the case really since, you know, the late 1980s, early 1990s. Mm. Tim, thank you very much. That's really interesting. Every week we ask a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's Extra Show. So on Monday, uh, the government planned a stress test for no deal with 150 heavy-duty vehicles queuing up in Kent. But how many lorries actually turned up? If you think you know the answer, do get in touch with office at progressonline.org.uk or tweet at Connor Pope and we'll have the answer on Friday. Uh, So don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton who produced this podcast.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.